Hello, and welcome to Not Your Mother's Housing Market, the podcast where we dissect and discuss emerging trends in today's real estate market because a 21st century market requires 21st century strategies. I'm Katie Keaton, Realtor with Realty One Group Pacifica, and I am joined by LaDonna Page, Mortgage Advisor and Liabilities Manager with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. I'm so proud of myself right now. Why is that? Because that took so much dexterity with my fingers <laughs> to start the music, get us into the intro. Episode six, very excited. I'm going to say the name of the episode every week because we're excited. We're episode six. That's, yeah. we're doing it. Yeah. So today we kind of had something planned and then... In a fortuitous turn of events, <laughs> we received a listener question to our email, which, by the way, if you want to write us in and ask a question or to comment on something we talk about in one of the episodes, you can reach out to us at notyourmothershousingmarket at gmail.com and send us in a question. So before we jump into our user question and get right into the episode, we are going to play you a word from the Kellett's Podcast Network sponsors. So we will just jump right into that. And when we come back, we will read you our first ever listener question. Take control of your account and make interacting with Kellett's PUD easy with Smart Hub. Through Smart Hub, you'll be able to view detailed usage information, make a payment, enroll in programs, set account notifications, and much more. You'll also receive important news and information about Kellett's PUD and can quickly contact us with any issues regarding your service. You'll be able to put yourself in the driver's seat of your Kellett's PUD account. Smart management, smart life, smart hub. All right, and we are back. That's my radio voice, if you ever wanted to hear. And we are back on the Not Your Mother's Housing Market (laughs) podcast. You're fired. (laughs) I would think that that would, like, institute a raise. I mean, I get paid zero dollars, so a raise would be really easy, but I thought it was really good. You guys reach out to notyourmothershousingmarket.com, or wait, at gmail.com. Let us know. Do you want me to talk in that voice all the time, (laughs) 24-7? Um, yeah, please do (laughs) give us your input. Okay. So anyway, like I mentioned, we had kind of been thinking we were going to go one direction for this week's episode and then we got a question. So I'm going to go ahead and read the email because full disclosure, I was the first to see the email and in my mind, I thought this is a LaDonna question. (laughs) This is not a question for me. So I'm going to read the email And then LaDonna is going to start taking us down the wonderful journey that will (laughs) unfold. So the email starts out, Katie and LaDonna, I really enjoyed the first three podcasts and think this is such a great way to appeal to a younger generation of homebuyers. Thank you, first of all. Um, In your second episode, you spoke in detail about why millennials wait so much longer to purchase their first home. Is there any truth behind the median house price increasing at a greater rate than the median income? I know feeling like I couldn't afford anything kept me out of the housing market when I first graduated from college, and it seems like it was easier for my folks to purchase their first home, even in minimum wage jobs. I'm sure whether it's true or not, other people in their 20s have felt the same way. Looking forward to hearing more Kellett's County housing market tidbits. Thanks. 
So thank you, listener. Yeah. And so um, to summarize his question, he's asking, is there any truth to the fact that median housing prices have increased at a greater rate than median income? And do we think that that's one of the reasons why people are waiting longer to purchase their first home? So thoughts. So thoughts. (laughs) Katie, why did you think this was a LaDonna question? Um... Because it took more research than I wanted to do. (laughs) Can I be honest? It did take some research to figure out. I mean, I had, like, my gut feelings, but obviously I wanted to come in with, like, cold hard facts. Yes. Let's really knock this out. Um, So, basically, to answer the root question there of is there any truth to housing prices rising faster than than income levels, there's not, actually. So I went on to a few different websites to come to a median decision on this. I wanted to be verified multiple places. Um, We love that. Some good citations. I do. (laughs) So I got some really great citations We're reputable. Okay, you guys, we are a reputable podcast. Okay, so one thing that I follow a lot and probably a lot of other mortgage advisors follow also is Case Schiller Home Price Indexes and the Schiller Report. Um, Case and Schiller, last names of two dudes that do a lot of research into this. Schiller Report is a report that comes out pretty regularly. I think I have a date, like a regular, how regular it comes out, but I'm going to totally botch that. Skip it, skip it. Comes out pretty regularly. We read it. We base our lives off of it. A lot of the housing bond market is based off of these reports. Okay. Um, so... This shows that historically houses cost five times more than your income. Okay. Right? Okay. So my income, I can afford a house five times my income. Than your annual income. Than my annual income. So okay. I take my $50,000 times five. Okay. <laughs> um, that's the house I can afford. Except in... um or housing costs is five times greater than your income. So okay. except during housing bubble years, remember those glorious mm-hmm, years? Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. They were seven times at that point. Okay. What are they now? Can I ask? Do you know? They're historical numbers, five. Okay. They're oh. really low. Okay. Um, so this is really good. So this ratio has influ- is influenced mostly by interest rates. Okay. Which historically... Our interest rates are significantly lower than when our parents were purchasing homes. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've been falling. You know, the interest rates continuously fall since before our time. Okay. (laughs) When they hit their all-time high in 1981. And what were they in 1981? On a 15-year mortgage, they were 15.3%. That's so crazy. And... Um, 10 year mortgages are usually the cheapest. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can do 20, 30 years, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so those rates, that is like the cheapest rate that you could have gotten into without buying it down. Okay. And buying it down is where you get into points. That's a whole nother topic. That's a whole nother topic. Okay. So... But at that point, a 30-year mortgage, which is what most people take out, 
was 18.6%. Wow, that's crazy. So can, okay, so every time, I mean, this might be a whole other podcast too, but amortization and all that jazz, but um, that just basically means that when you're paying your mortgage, a gigantic chunk of your mortgage is going to interest, and that means it's not going to actually pay down your loan amount. Right. In layman's terms. Right. Okay. So you're saying that, um, you're saying that I do think it is kind of a held myth that, hey, the housing market has really taken off and the median income is not keeping up. But you're saying that, you know, statistics wise, that is not true. Yeah. Okay. So I actually looked at a graph, Katie, because I know you love your graphs. (laughs) You know, I'm more of a Venn diagram person. I feel like we've come to learn that. Yes, I know this. But I love a graph. So again, Case Schiller Home Price Index versus Medium Home Income. Um, shows that home prices stay below every year except for those bubble years. They ebb and flow together. They kind of like, you know, two steps forward, one step back as things progress, but Mm. they stay fairly in sync and they are continuing to stay fairly in sync with housing prices rising lower Mm -hmm. than... Okay. Than your income. Very interesting. And I mean, we are taking steps in the right direction as far as median income. Especially in states like Washington, but just in general, we're, you know, becoming more cognizant of, hey, times change, um, you know. Right. What we pay you needs to change, too. Why can't I think of that word? (laughs) What we pay you needs to change, too. Minimum wage. Oh, my goodness. I could not think of the words minimum wage. So, So, I mean, we did figure out that, uh, you know, right now in Cowlitz County, Washington, minimum wage is Mm -hmm. $13.50. and you can still buy a house for that dollar amount. Right. <laughs> so when he was mentioning, hey, you know, talking to his parents, mm-hmm. not your mother's housing market, talking to his right. parents, um, kind of seemed like, hey, they had an easier time purchasing even on minimum wage than I do now. But I do think it's um, worth noting and kind of to go back to episode two, if you guys missed it, the episode where we talk millennials in the housing market, um, we are getting married later. So even if, you know, there was a crazy young couple back in the 80s or 85 or whatever, um, even though maybe they were both making minimum wage, when you have two people making minimum wage, that's double the amount of one person trying to purchase on minimum wage today. Right. So that's worth noting as well. Also, um, you know, if we get user questions or listener questions, um, we probably won't always dedicate a whole episode, but we just loved this question because it is like genuinely comparing your mother's housing market to today's housing market. So thank you again for the question. So kind of to wrap that in a little bit further, like why I think buying a house for our parents felt easier in the 80s than mm-hmm. it did now. If you look around the country, most of the houses were built in the 70s and 80s. Okay, right. So inventory was really high. Mm-hmm. There were lots and lots of houses. Right. <laughs> and... Um, obviously like the sixties was like the introduction of the suburbs Mm -hmm. and, and then in the eighties, they just continued the seventies and eighties, they just continued to build on those. And those were the years of the highest inventory. 
and um, you know supply and demand people supply and demand so the fact that oh, all man. of these homes were getting built back in the 60s 70s 80s um there was a lot of supply so right. then the demand didn't have to outpace it you didn't have to right. get into crazy bidding wars yeah um, so in the 80s the average time that a house sat on the market was eight weeks okay do you know what it is now katie uh, like 26 days. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. And I, I want you to know, I pulled that out of my brain. She did not say that to me earlier. And that's because I am a realtor and I know. You know. Yeah. I know. That's my yeah. forte. This question was a LaDonna question, but the question LaDonna just asked, that was a Katie So question. 26 days is very common for Cowlitz County mm-hmm. nationwide, two weeks. Okay. So 14 days. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, it's so, so interesting, too, though, because that takes into account the houses that maybe are a little bit overpriced. I mean, we have, like, seven houses on the market right now in Calais County over a million dollars. Yeah. Crazy. Which, obviously, it's going to take longer to sell a million-dollar house. And then, you know, we also have the ones at the bottom where they've been sitting for a while because even though they're great houses, maybe they can't be financed for whatever reason. And that makes right. it harder, too. Right. Yeah. So then... Another part that plays into this is um, most people in the 80s didn't carry as much debt as we do now. Okay, yes. So most people in the 80s didn't have large credit card bills. We do not have as large of credit card bills as we did in the bubble years. Um, But the average household credit card debt really was like shockingly low to me because the last time I looked at this number, it was much higher. Um, but you current learning, <laughs> I'm learning. Yes. Okay. I'm also <laughs> learning. So yes. So, and I love these little rabbit holes that this leads us down. Like he asked one question and then it just stemmed a bunch of questions for me. And I knew that that would bring in questions for you and yes. possibly more people also. So credit card debt nationally, the average household carries five thousand dollars in in that. Oh yeah, that's really not that bad. Right? I remember watching the Dr. Phil episodes when it was like, This family is in a credit card debt crisis. Oh my god. They have three hundred thousand dollars in credit oh! card debt. That was two thousand eight. <laughs> Which also I mean Dr. Phil, of course they have to pick the most scandalous right. of, it's a, of topics. Yeah. That's, it's that junk TV a, you love to watch. I love um, Dr. Phil. I love Dr. Phil. Okay, go on. So cars, average household car debt is $13,000. Okay. Average student loan debt, which is where, like... The money is. This was not a thing in the 80s. You guys didn't carry as much student loan debt as we do. The average person carries $29,000 of student debt. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know what it was back then, or it really just wasn't even something they remarked on? Nobody was tracking that. Yeah, that's so crazy. (laughs) Nobody was nerding out about that number as hard as we are now. Mm -hmm. Like, just as much as we've seen it go up. Yeah. And um, how how much more difficult it is Mm -hmm. for people to come out of college or whatever and get into homes. So... What this all plays into is your debt-to-income ratio. Right. Well, that's exactly what I was about to say, too, because circling back to the question at hand, um, no, the house prices have not outpaced the median income, but that doesn't mean 
it is just as easy to buy now as it was then, it still does feel harder because your average income is not the only predictor of how much house you can afford. A huge one is debt to income ratio. So that's where these big debts come into play. Right. So basically to get to your debt to income ratio, you take all every dollar of debt and divide that by every dollar of income. Your two-sided balance sheet, perhaps? <laughs> That's only two. Now we're getting into real estate, so okay. there's three, Katie. <laughs> Listen to our last episode. You'll understand. <laughs> but um, that, so that plays a huge part. People weren't walking, people, the average person even making minimum wage wasn't walking into a loan for a home with such high debt to income ratios the home was going to be their debt basically right that was it yeah the home was going to be their debt and just so people that maybe aren't super familiar with um purchasing a house the reason why debt to income matters is because that's one of the ways that lenders determine um if you are qualified to get a loan right so like my the worst thing for me to do to somebody mm. as my client would be to put them into a home that I know that they're going to live in this house. They're going to be house rich, but cash poor. Right. Like, I want you to be in this home and be present with your kids, mm. not feel like I've got to pick up extra work or find a second job so that I can afford to make my house payment. Right. Um, or be eating ramen. Mm -hmm. Like... And that happens. We're not in college anymore, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get out of the ramen yeah. and start, you know. Like, let's get out of the ramen. Let's climb be out adults. of the kiddie pool full of ramen. <laughs> I feel like that's a, that's a YouTube video that probably, like, Mr. Beast has made. <laughs> kiddie pool full of ramen. Gross. Right? Gross. Do you guys watch Mr. Gross. Beast? Nope. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Gross. Anyway, so, like... We want you to be able to eat well. We mm -hmm. want you to be able to afford to buy other things, to right. go on that family vacation, to take care of somebody when they get sick. Those things are important. So we want to see that 40, like, going to say that standard is 43. There are some fluxes that we make with this, so you can't just run off of that number. Definitely talk to a mortgage professional to figure out what your specific situation is, but 43% debt-to-income ratio is where we like to see people. Okay, so when you say 43% debt-to-income ratio, um, can you do that quick little math problem for me again? You're taking your debt and you're dividing it by... Your income? Your income, yeah. Okay, so take your debt, divide it by your income. If you get 43%, then... You're good, or anything yeah. lower than that. Okay, cool. Even better, because <clears throat> that's going to keep you in that, you know, in a well-balanced situation versus mm -hmm. just being house-rich, cash-poor. Well, and I think that kind of goes back to the fact that I think some people, when they go to purchase a home and they speak to a lender and maybe they don't get approved for as much as they think they should, or maybe the lender says, hey... Now's not the right time for you. It really isn't like a punishment. It really is kind of a situation of I'm a professional and we have ran so many numbers on this. Like we have been tracking this for a really long time. And just historically, this is the debt to income ratio that you should stay under to happily live in your home and to right. not get foreclosed on or right. to not lose your home or to not, you know, 
be in a situation like that. Right. A term that I often use is suitability versus eligibility. Oh, I love it. Ooh. I'm tucking it in got my your, brain. Got right your now. feels going there, right? <laughs> you distracted <laughs> me from my sip of coffee for that one. So, so yeah, like what is suitable for your lifestyle versus what are you actually able to do? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I could sit down and I could say that out of my $5,000 a month income, I can afford $4,000 of house payment because that number fits in there. Right. But if I start adding up groceries and gas and house and mm-hmm. <laughs> everything else that it mm-hmm. takes to live, that doesn't really work in right. real terms. Um, so we like to see 43% industry standard, okay. but there are some changes in there depending on your specific situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so where my mom comes into this is my mom used to tell us when we started looking for houses that for every $100,000 your house costs, you're going to pay $1,000 a month or $100,000 of house equals $1,000 a month of payment. Okay. Which is obviously not true. Anymore. 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 (laughs) You owe me a Coke after it. My imagery <laughs> is coming out in this episode. All right. Okay. Anymore, so, that is not true anymore. Right. That's not true anymore. Um, so where our houses are often selling for $350,000 here, you're not looking at a $3,500 payment. You're looking somewhere closer to $2,000 payment because now we're like roughly half of that for every $100,000 of um, housing debt you pick up, you're going to pay roughly $500 in payment. So because of that much different interest rate, in some ways it's more difficult to purchase a house now, but in some ways it is easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as interest rates go down, mm-hmm. housing purchase ability goes up. Right. Because because you can afford to purchase more when less is going to your interest and more is going to your principal. Yes, we love that. Yeah. Get that principal paid off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's just everything really comes into it and when like my one of my aunts talks about buying her first house down to 11%. Yeah, that's so crazy. My mom talks about her first house um which is in Lexington for people that live in Cowles County. And we loved that house. But she always talks about the fact that she bought it in the 70s. It was her first house. She purchased it by herself. She's a single mom, two kids. She bought it by herself. Super impressive. Um, she bought it for like $50,000, but she had a 13% interest rate. Yeah. So different than now. So crazy. And it's just really interesting to um, compare the two. Yeah. Markets. You know, my parents... Um, I don't know about their first house cause I was really young when that happened, but their current house that they live in, they've been in it for like 27 ish years, I think now. Um, but they purchased it for somewhere close to $80,000. I don't remember their interest rate, but my mom, my mom, I remember my mom saying that her payment was like $800 a month. Right. And and my dad was making $11 an hour when they purchased that house. Mm-hmm. And now, granted, like, cost of living has changed. Um, you know, just 
everything has changed. Inflation has gone. Yes. We have smartphones now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have phones. Yeah. Do you remember the like the cell phone in the bag? No. No. <laughs> I don't. We had some super swanky friends when before we moved to Kelso mm-hmm. that um that had like they carried she carried this bag that looks almost like your bag that you carry like this bowling devil (laughs) bowling ball devil bag kind of shaped bag but it was a phone bag okay those are like in the in like the old movies where you see someone in the car phone (laughs) i also never saw a car phone because i was not swanky enough to know anyone i knew one person (laughs) that is a whole different we were not swanky (laughs) no that's a whole different time but actually i know that she has listened to uh, this podcast, and if she listens to this one, you know who you are. Like, <laughs> I thought of you as so fancy. With your, you are so with fancy. your if phone you in the bag. Phone in a bag, you were fancy. <laughs> yes. Um. So, like, you know, just everything has changed so much, mm-hmm. and that's exactly why. Um, when you want to come into the market. Yes, of course. Talk to everyone you know about their experiences. Listen to what they have to say. Things have changed, but also, you know, things stay the same. But really, if you want to know if you qualify for a house or how much house you qualify or if you should sell your house, whatever, if you have a question, talk to someone who is a professional today. Talk to LaDonna. Talk to me. I'll give you LaDonna's number. (laughs) And um, I will give you Katie's. (laughs) Yes, you better. And um, really talk to someone who knows what's happening in the market today. Right. Because it is very different and it is ever changing. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Like we stay up on these things. I know how many basis points the bond market has gone up and down every darn day. Right, Um, right. Basis points. Yes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) These are things that Katie doesn't follow, but I follow because that's how I know when to lock a loan. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't need to follow it, but that's exactly why I have LaDonna's number. Right. (laughs) She calls me and asks me these things. Yeah. Um, So definitely talk to your professionals, but... Your family and friends will have valuable information as well and be able to help you through the process. Um, But like we said, this is not your mother's housing market. And Mm. so all of that information, (laughs) all the things Mm -hmm. change. Yeah. The times they are changing. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of if there was anything else that we wanted to hit from that question. Got anything? I don't think so. Well, I think we covered it just really well. Yeah. And I think that was a lovely little um, lesson that you gave us, LaDonna. Yeah, thanks. Oh, lessons yeah. from LaDonna. Mortgage lessons from LaDonna. <laughs> we were talking earlier about what her like branding should be. Mortgage lessons from LaDonna. Ooh. We're getting closer. We're getting closer to <laughs> We're something. Getting closer. <laughs> but um, I think that wraps up this week's episode. Yeah. So just as a recap, like... It plays into, the, you know, the big, big answer to the question was, no, the home prices are staying below income. Okay. Where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the more nuanced conversation was. Was that, you know, our, because of our higher incomes, because of our lower um, interest rates, you can afford to buy 
more house. And higher debts sometimes mean... And higher debts coming from other things than just your house means mm-hmm. that you um, you have a higher debt-to-income ratio, and that isn't mm-hmm. necessarily suitable for you. So it's personalized. It is. It, it is all personalized. personalized. Every loan is 100% different than the last mm-hmm. one. Yeah, and I think we covered that really well today. So, okay, we will end... Episode six of Not Your Mother's Housing Market here. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We're going to start getting it up and running. It's just Not Your Mother's Housing Market on Instagram. And we'll be posting when our new episodes come out. And then also, if you have any questions for us, please write in to notyourmothershousingmarket at gmail.com so we can have more conversations like this. I had a lot of fun. I hope we answered your question. And like I said, anyone else with questions, please write in notyourmothershousingmarket at gmail.com. And other than that, I am Katie Keaton, Realtor with Realty One Group Pacifica. I'm LaDonna Page, Mortgage Advisor and Liabilities Manager with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. And we will talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.